It's great to be here with you this morning. We are in our final week of our four-week series, A Journey. We've been looking at the, the journey that God calls all of us on with him and been looking at at least four crucial steps that, that admittingly, although our, all of our journeys are somewhat unique, these four crucial steps are, are similar, are similar for each and every one of us. So in the first week, we looked at our first step, and that's to believe uh, to where we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And in part, this occurs as believers partner with God to reach people with his love and message. Then in our second week, we looked at the reality that as we come into faith in Christ, that, that as we believe, that we really enter into a new position in the Lord, where we belong to, to Christ and his church, and that we as a church uh, each take part in helping raise each other up and what it means to, to really belong to God and to one another. And then we realized in our third week, uh, this third step, that as we believe and, and learn what it means to belong, we begin to have this growing desire and, and need, Lord, to become more and more like Jesus, to become like him, and how we, as a church, raise each other up to do that as well, to encourage one another, to, to teach one another, to, to pray with one another. And then in this final week, we look at how those who have made the decision to believe who know they belong to God as church, who are becoming like Jesus, are, are released to bless others to advance God's kingdom. Now for crosswinds, uh, this discipleship pathway, this journey speaks of both strategy and, and movements. Strategy, of course, the four R's we looked at, reach, raise, and release. And these four movements, uh, which are B words, right? To believe, to belong, to become, then to bless. And when you put this strategy and this movement together, it sounds like this. We as crosswinds will faithfully reach people with the love and message of Jesus Christ as they take, the next, as they take their step to believe. We will raise them to follow Christ as they discover what it means to belong to him and his church as well as become who they are created to be. And we will release them to partner with God to bless others by advancing his kingdom. This releasing and blessing, this, this final step really speaks of living sent lives, S-E-N-T, sent lives. We looked at it briefly last week. We're going to dive into it this week. But this concept of, concept of living sent, uh, of blessing others, is deeply rooted within God's word, deeply rooted within God's word. In fact, when we look at uh, the church and the God's call upon the church, we, we see it deeply rooted in our calling. Now, when I speak of the church, I want to be clear on this. I'm not talking about just a place, a building, if you will, where followers of Christ come and gather to worship. I'm not talking about the building where we do things like this and laser getting and things like that. When I, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the sum total of all the followers of Christ. You, me, every believer in the world, the church. And, and so what, we're, what is God's call to the church? Well, look at God's first words to man. Genesis 1 First part of verse 28, God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and, he's, and God blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's first words to man is to be fruitful and multiply. Then we know through scripture that there was a great flood. And you have Noah and his family. And so they come out of the ark. And here's, here's God's first command to Noah, Genesis 7, 9, 7. And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So after the flood, God's first command to Noah is be fruitful and multiply. 
Then we fast forward to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, and listen to Jesus' last words, among his last words to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And so Christ's last words to his disciples was really be fruitful and multiply. Now in the Old Testament, God is speaking of both biological and spiritual growth. There was this understanding that you were to multiply the earth biologically through children, but you also are to spiritually multiply by raising them up to understand who God is. In the New Testament, it's spiritual multiplication. He's saying, I want you to have spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that you'll be fruitful and multiply as you share my love and message with others, raising them up in what it means to belong to me and to become the person I've created to be in Christ Jesus and releasing them to do the same. And so disciple-making is the core purpose of the church. And since we're the church, it's the core purpose for each and every one of us. But here is Jesus' strategy. Jesus' strategy is to increase, is to increase through addition in the local church context. His plan for multiplication is that local church families will plant other local church families. So for us, let's, let's just bring it down to where we live. For us, it means as believers, we, we add by sharing the love and message with other people so that they too will believe. It's through one-on-one discipleship, raising up disciples who will then lead one-on-one discipleship relationships and will have pouring in other disciples who will lead disciples. It means in our small groups, that as the small groups are growing and flourishing, that there'll be couples within those small groups or individuals within those small groups who will say, man, what God is doing in this small group, I believe he can do in another. And they'll multiply by starting another small group. The original small group I was a part of actually now has two other small groups that have come out of it. I didn't lead any of them, by the way. Others have led them and done an extraordinary job in that. We see it in our campuses. We add. We, we not only have three services on the Kennedegua campus, we have, a, we have two services at the uh, campus in Hopewell, at the Ontario County Jail. We also have a growing online service. Uh, that, that, that is a campus. We call that online campus. And by the way, it's growing big time through flu season. And so uh, if you're home with the flu watching us, glad you could be with us online. And uh, it's just a, a great way to do that. So addition. But also as a church, we've planted. We have Little Lakes, a church that was planted out of this church. We have a new work that, that someone comes and says, I, even hear, I haven't heard about that. This is brand new, right off the press. It's a new church plant that's going to happen in West Henrietta, a multi-ethnic church plant. And, and I'm excited about it. And we're going to partner with them. We're going to help them in that plant. You're going to hear more about that as we, as we continue to, to walk alongside them. But this is God's call on each and every one of us. And, and we're to understand this in, in two tiers. And we've talked about this throughout this series. And we, we talk about it all the time because it's just so true. You've heard me say this. I've had many people come up to me and say, I just don't know what God wants in my life. I don't know what my call is. And I love to say, I know exactly what God's call is for your life. I mean, it blows their mind. Like they've been looking for someone to say it. It's simply to know him and make him known. 
It's to be a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. That's not always what they're looking for. In fact, to be honest with you, it's usually not what they're looking for. They want me to tell them what their career is supposed to be or, their, or what job they should take or what school they should go to. I want to let you know a little secret. I don't think God cares about geography as much as he does about your calling. You know what I'm saying? If it's going to honor him, take whatever job. If it's going to honor him, go whatever school is going to honor him. Matter of fact, whatever one gives you the best opportunity to be a disciple who makes disciples, that's probably what I would choose. But we understand that we are unique, and there is a secondary calling, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's given us all different gifts and abilities and talents. Look, never once in school did any teacher ever come up to me and say, Craig, you should become a doctor. Not once. I never had a teacher come up to me and say, you know what, you should become a mathematician. You know? Matter of fact, they said, whatever you do, just make sure it's something you can talk. <laughs> Imagine that. They say, you seem to do that pretty well. So I picked a career where I can talk. But, but, but we're all unique. And so, so here's the point. We need to keep our secondary calling in alignment with our primary calling, our common calling. And, and, and uh, believers must understand that, that really our, our common calling exists in wherever we find ourselves, whether we're a pastor or, or a teacher or, or, or a student or a clerk or a mom or a dad. You get the picture. That wherever we find ourselves, that every believer has the capacity and the call to participate in the multiplication movement of God. In fact, every believer is called to be an everyday missionary in their home, their neighborhood, their school, their, their workplace, here, there, and everywhere, an everyday missionary. Consider this. The world really is a battle of inches. It's either claimed for God or counterclaimed by the enemy. And so among the many things I pray over my life and my family and you as my church family, this is one that I'm pretty consistent on as well. And I pray simply, God, wherever someone from Crosswind set their foot, may they claim it for you. May they claim it for you. Whether they find themselves, you know, just in their home, may they claim their home for you. And by the way, claiming territory starts with ourselves. I claim me for Jesus. Then I claim my marriage for Jesus. I claim my family for Jesus. I claim my neighborhood for Jesus. I do. I I, I, every day when I'm going, I go, Lord, there's some appointments I believe I'm going to have. They're on my calendar. But there's tons of them that I don't know about. Divine appointments. Just sort of pop up. Give me eyes to see those things. Like if I step into Wegmans or Tops, I want to claim that for Jesus. When, I, when my youngest is heading off to Canandaigua Academy, I want him to claim that place for Jesus. I, I learned this really in high school. A group of us were gathering for a, a prayer time before school. And it was at the time where there was this real push that you shouldn't pray in school. Like, I know that's still there, but it was like really becoming really forceful. And a bunch of us really thought, how can they really stop us from praying? They really can't. I mean, they can't. They have no legal ground. They can't really do it. And so we just gather together and pray, not to, not to be uh, uh, like against the authority type thing, but because we knew who the true authority was. And so we would gather and pray, and we started to call our school Gives Christian High School. Now, understand it was not a Christian high school. In fact, it was only a handful of us we knew of that were Christians. But we began to claim that campus for God. 
And guess what? He began to open doors. That group began to grow. And, and, and when I graduated, that, that group had become from a handful of us to nearly 100 of us who had gathered throughout the week praying for that campus. God does amazing things when we give ourselves to him. When a believer places themselves in the hands of God, he takes the ordinary and does something extraordinary. And I like what a friend of mine here at Crosswinds said a few weeks ago. He said, you know, I really believe God says, you worry about doing the ordinary and let me worry about doing the extraordinary through you. That's really where it's at, isn't it? Every day for me is not like a mile marker, go preach about that day. Most of my life is ordinary just like yours. But it's amazing what God can do in the ordinary. It really is. I mean, like when I, when I walk through stores for years now, one of the things I always say to the clerk, I always say, I always say how are people treating you? That's just my question. How are people treating you? Because I figure, you know, I know people. And my guess is you're probably really serving some really grumpy people sometimes, especially when the store is packed. You know, they probably went into the store happy and they're leaving grumpy. You know what I'm saying? And so how are, how are people? As a matter of fact, here's the weird thing. I'm so accustomed to doing that. When I leave here and walk past the people serving in a coffee shop, it just naturally comes out of my mouth. How are people treating you? How are they treating you today? And they've always said good, which is good, because after I ask it, I go, what would I say? They go, man, they're really grumpy today. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, our church is grumpy. What's going on? But you get the point. I'm amazed at how a, how a person on, on, at a line taking my money just smiles because someone's asking how their day's doing. I mean, I'm not sharing, like, the whole gospel message. I'm just sharing a little bit of encouragement. Some of you have received notes from me. I'm amazed at how many people, when they get a note, especially when it's a note from me when I know they can't read my writing. It encourages them. In fact, they'll go, thank you for saying that note. That meant a lot to me. I thought, man, it would mean a whole lot if you could have read it. <laughs> That's all I know is a God in heaven. Well, my note can impact someone because my handwriting is horrible. Horrible. But just something simple. It's ordinary. It's ordinary. It's old school ordinary, sending a note. It just impacts people. It makes a difference. It, it, it always blows my mind that, that I can say like a word that was, just sort of God says, say this. And you say, it's such a simple thing. You know, or, or you stop and pray with somebody. It's such a simple, ordinary thing. And a month or so later, they'll say, you know, when you stopped and said so-and-so, that meant so much to me. I thought, I don't even remember saying that. But God uses it. God's call for us is to be disciple multiplier. This is some of Christ's last words to the disciples before he ascends into heaven. They're recorded for us in John 20, 21. He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. John's gospel, this 20, 20th chapter, beginning at verse 19, is, is, is this account of Jesus appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. The encounter takes place on Resurrection Sunday. Like, like he, he, he comes back, and, and, and then he, he goes to the disciples and says these things. We know that Jesus at least had five appearances on the exact day he was resurrected. He appears to, to Mary Magdalene. He appears to a group of women who go back to the disciples and say, guess what, we saw Jesus. And they say, guess what, we don't believe you. <laughs> he appears to, to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus. He appears to Peter. And then here, he appears to... Ten of his disciples, Judas had taken his own life. Thomas isn't there. We don't know why. Maybe they sent him out to get pizza. We just don't know. 
But there's 10 of them and others. Luke tells us there were others who were with the 10, just waiting. It seems that Jesus' prayer for unity at least lasted a few days. Because when he comes back, the, the group, his followers are gathered in one place. And what amazes me is that Jesus could go anywhere. He could be with anyone after the resurrection. But he wanted to be with his people. In fact, he sought out his people. And not only does Jesus go to be with his disciples, but what he says is particularly noteworthy. He appears to them. They're, they're sort of astonished, filled with fear. I mean, he comes out of nowhere, and Jesus says, peace be with you. I mean, what, what powerful words. Put yourselves in the disciples' shoes. I mean, after their desertion of him on the day of his crucifixion, the disciples probably expected words of rebuke, words of, of blame. Instead, Jesus brought a word of peace, this reconciling peace. That when Jesus said, peace be with you, not only was he talking about that they could be at peace because he was in their presence, that they were okay, that even though they had done some things that they were ashamed of, that he was okay with them, that he loved them. But he's talking about a profound peace, like peace with God, inner peace in Jesus. Think about it. Jesus came to this fearful, this faithless group of disciples and stood among them speaking this greeting of peace. And I don't know about you, but that, that encourages me. Because there's days I just totally realize I'm not worthy. I mean, I'm just not worthy. And it's true. And yet Jesus, Jesus still comes and says, look, I desire to be with you. I want, I want you to have peace. Peace with God and, and peace in Christ, my peace in your life. And after he speaks his greeting of peace, he shows them his hands and, and, and his side, and then the disciples are glad that they see Jesus. And once again, when you read the entire account, he says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side because he wants them to know, I'm really Jesus of Nazareth. Like, I'm the one who was crucified. I, I did die for your sins. I've been resurrected. I'm a, I'm a living Lord. And again, he didn't just do it for the 10 disciples. He did it for them and every other person who was gathered there with them. Shows them the marks. I think it's so important to realize that Jesus didn't come to the disciples to share new thoughts or doctrine. He just came to share himself. Just came to share himself. And when I think about the fact that, that Jesus bears those marks into eternity, it blows my mind. One of the things I look forward to when Jesus comes back or, or, is the new body that I'm going to receive. Like, I want this new body to be quite different. You guys are laughing. That's not cool. What are you laughing at? It's mean. But I do. You know what I'm saying? I want it to be quite different. I don't want it to have any scars into eternity. Well, I want, to, I want you know, I want Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime divine body. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, what, that's what I'm shooting for, you know? If they can't give me that, God, at least give me Brad Pitt. I mean, just give me something, you know, <laughs> something different. But, but, but what Jesus, into eternity, he's chosen to keep the scars. I was thinking about that, and I shared this in the last two services. Guys, you'll get this a little bit. And the ladies last night go, I don't know what you're talking about. There's some scars that you'd like to brag about. 
Like guys get together, right? And they'll say, where'd you get that scarf? And if you don't have a good story, you take a bad story and just make it sound better. You know, I got it, you know, fighting a shark. I don't know. You just, you just want to, you know, because I think Jesus, catch this, I really do. I think Jesus keeps the scars because of the story. I think Jesus keeps the scars into eternity because those scars aren't anything to be ashamed of because he loves us and he loves the Father so much that he bore them. And Jesus comes in this midst, this group of rag muffins, and he says, look, look at my hands, look at my side. I'm him, I'm him. And then Jesus says to him again, peace be with you. Now, by this time, I'm sure they're calmed down. So he's, he's really emphasizing this piece again. And there's probably a lot of reasons why he said it twice, but this repetition, repetition definitely makes the promise, this gift of peace, larger and, and, more, and more significant. That the resurrected Jesus brings peace, and he still does today. The resurrected Jesus brings peace. See, Jesus had faced all, all that would have defeated, all the, first, all the forces that would destroy peace. Jesus came and faced it, and on his finished work on the cross and through his resurrected, resurrection, he's victorious. When Jesus said, peace be with you, he was speaking words that were infinitely beyond wishful thinking. He's speaking this, this words of declaration. He, he's imparting a blessing. Think about it. We receive peace when our sins are forgiven. We receive peace when, 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 our, when our fears and cares are taken by him. We receive peace when our chains are, are broken and we're set free in Jesus. We receive peace when we receive eternal life in Christ. And it's this peace of Christ. This peace of Christ we're called to share with others. And we can only share really what we have. We really can only share what we have. Jesus adds to this, peace be with you. These words, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus gave his disciples, he gives us this mission to go into the earth and share his peace that everywhere we go, How many of you realize there's chaos in the world? Sometimes in our very own lives. And Jesus says, invade those places with my peace. Claim my peace. Take my peace. When we see a place of chaos, it's a church's call to go in there and bring peace. When we see people hurting, what do we do? We bring God's peace into those places. That's why it's important we claim our homes. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my home can be chaotic. Anyone else there? Okay, just me and two others. Okay, well, pray for us. A few of us need your prayers. Man, we need to claim God's peace in those places and say, God, make me an instrument of peace. See, I find when there's conflict between me and my wife, yeah, sometimes there is but that the reconciliation only begins when I say, Lord, make me an instrument of peace in this. See, it's hard to be prideful and a peace bearer at the same time. So I'm saying, Lord, humble me. Help me take the posture of peace. Help me walk into this world and share your peace. 
this commission Jesus gave us is a fulfillment of his prayer. Remember John 17, 18, we looked at it, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. This means that we're, we're, we're to be sent once. We're to be missionaries from the Latin verb to send. Every believer is to live sent lives. And Luke 24, 33 describes the, the meeting again between Jesus and, and the disciples and those who were gathered with them. And he, he commissions them and he fills them with the spirit. And it says that it really means that every believer is sent and that every believer is filled with the spirit of God. As with John 17, 18, we think of how Jesus was sent and connect it with the truth that I also send you. We're sent in the same way as Jesus. Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost, and, and we're sent to do the same, sharing his love and message of Christ so that they too will be saved. Others will be saved. That's how we're sent. Again, we're not the Savior. <sighs> we point people to the one who is. That's our, that's our call. And I believe with all my heart, I see it. I know in my own life. Until we're walking in that call, we'll never know fulfillment. We'll really never know joy. We certainly won't know peace. I have individuals who come to me and say, look, I received Christ and I'm not feeling peace. What's going on? And the reality is most of us, when we come to Jesus, we come to him as Savior. We call him Lord but that's the process we walk through, right? Like, like we know he's our savior, but Lord means he has total control of our life, total control of our life, like total control of our life. How many of you are growing in that? And so we're filled with the spirit of God, but in order to walk in that fullness, we've got to rely totally on him. I don't know about you, but I'm growing in that one. Like there's moments where I'm doing really good. Like I pray before I go to bed. I pray when I wake up. I love it when I wake up because I'm telling you, I've been really good between when I went to bed to when I woke up. Like I've been walking with Jesus is good. Perfect for the most part. But you get what I'm saying. As we learn to rely on Jesus and truly make him Lord, he invades our space with peace and power. And we're able not only to be blessed by that, but to bless others with it. There's no scarcity mindset in the house of God. He always gives to overflow if we'll allow him. He's such a gentleman, we have to say yes to that. Let me get real practical here. The journey God calls us on has these four movements, to believe, to belong, to become, to bless. It, it, crosswinds, we've put it in this way that, that these four movements come about really by the strategy of reaching others until they believe, right? Raising them up, raising up other believers to learn what it means to belong to Christ and his church and to become the person that Christ has created them to be. And then we release them so all believers will pursue their full kingdom potential in Christ Jesus. But how does that look in our daily living? Well, every single one of us who are followers of Christ should have somebody pouring into us. We all need at least one person pouring into our life, at least one. I don't stand up here alone. And I know when saying that, you're like, well, Craig, actually you are standing up there alone. But, but I'm not, I'm not. I'm standing on the shoulders of people like Mrs. Graham, who was a Sunday school teacher when I was in elementary school. 
I stand on the shoulders of Don and Ann Bragg, who were my first youth pastor and his wife when I was in middle school. The Coates, Paul and Janet, my senior high youth pastor and wife. I stand on the shoulders of, of Dave and Rachel, who are college pastors who poured into my life. And, and, and I, I stand on the shoulders of, of John and Patty Bray, who were the first lead pastors that I served under. I, I can name other names like Dan Bickle and, and others who have, who have poured into my life and still are pouring into my life, helping me grow in Jesus. And you may be sitting here and saying, how do you find people like that? You ask. Well, what if they say no? You ask somebody else. But you would be surprised when someone's asked how privileged they are to serve you. How privileged they are to serve you. I one time did sort of the passive thing, which isn't normally my nature. But I asked a real key leader, I said, who would you suggest I ask to pour into my life? I was so hoping he would say me. And he said, well, here's a list. But he said, would you be okay if I did? I went, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Our one-on-one discipleship is all about that. If you need someone to pour in your life, then I would suggest you go out there and put yourself on the list. Secondly, we should be pouring into someone's life. Same list, by the way, different side of it. We should be pouring into someone's life. It's amazing to me how many believers don't think they have anything to offer anyone. And I go, well, Jesus paid for you with his life. You have value. Well, I don't know enough. You know what one of the most liberating things I've ever learned is when I'm meeting with somebody and they ask me a question, spiritual question, and I look at them and I simply honestly say, I don't know. I don't know. Don't know the answer. Good question. Don't know the answer. Let's figure it out together. I'm going to study the scripture. You study the scripture. We can get back together. Let's figure out. What we, let's figure. Let's figure it out together. So you know whether I'm pouring into someone or, 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 or someone's pouring into me. There's always growth. My one-on-one discipleship partner right now. I, I grow as much in that relationship as hopefully he is. Thirdly, every one of us should have at least at least one person who, by name, right now when I talk about this, they come to your mind. Who you're praying, God help me. Help me reach them with your love and message. For me, it's Greg and Dave. There's just two people I know. I'm just praying, Lord, use me. Use me to be an example to them. Use me to, to, to somehow. And Lord, if it's not me, just bring someone. I just want them to know you. I think of family members. I just want them to know you. And by the way, if you don't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, let me encourage you to get out of your holy huddle and pray that God helps you find someone who doesn't know Jesus. My guess is this, since we live in an area where three of the most unreached cities are right outside our back door, which is Buffalo, uh, Rochester, and Syracuse, so there's probably a lot of people around here who don't know Jesus. As, as, we, as we not continue to gather but scatter in a moment, God help me run into some of those people if you don't already know who they are. Three important questions. As a disciple multiplier, what's your next step in the discipleship journey? I would ask God that this morning. As a disciple multiplier, who's your one? Who's your three ones, really? Who's pouring into you? Who are you pouring into? And who are you, by the power of God, saying, use me to share your love and message with that person? And then lastly, are you willing to live a sent life? See, for some of us, if we were to be honest this morning, we're not willing. And so I've got a prayer for you. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, you know I'm not willing. Would you make me willing? 
Ever been there? I have. God, you're calling me to this. I know I should be willing, but I'm not. You know my heart. Make me willing to be willing. God, you know I believe, but you know I have areas I don't. Help me in my unbelief. You know I have faith, but you know it's somewhat lacking. Grow my faith. There's some good prayers, church. And it's my prayer for us this morning. That God would use us, would use us to see a revival spread across this region. You say, Craig, that's a big prayer. I think it's a small prayer for a big God. And here's the great thing. My responsibility is is just to live out my ordinary life in his name and trust him to do the extraordinary in the midst of it. Jesus loves you. Our resurrected Lord still brings peace. Maybe we washed over by that peace to the point to where the world is infected by God's peace. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for giving us this amazing example in your word that when you showed up to a group of people that you certainly could have spoken words of blame words of correction you chose to give words of peace your peace and not just words you provided the way through your death on the cross you've proven you've provided a way through your resurrection for us to have real peace with God and inner peace in you And so I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who's yet to believe, to enter into that peace, to take that first step, that even now in the quietness of this place, the quietness of their heart, that they would receive you as Savior and Lord. God, for each of us who have made that decision, even those who have maybe making that decision even now, help us to continue to grow in understanding what does it mean to make you Lord of our life? What does it mean we belong to you and your church? What's it mean to to become like Jesus, to allow your spirit to not just occupy the space of our life, but to direct us in such a way that your peace and your power is washing through us. What does it mean, God, to take the blessing that we have because we're yours and bless others with it? to be fruitful and multiply, to be disciple makers. Would you take us to that place? Would you help us not just have peace in the inner chaos of our lives, but really be ambassadors of your peace into our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, our schools, this region, and beyond for you? Thank you for that, God. But you left the splendor of heaven bring your peace and to provide your peace for each and every one of us. Thank you for calling us to be on mission with you. You're our leader. We want to keep in step with you. Lead us and guide us, I pray. In the precious, loving name of Jesus.